Welcome everyone to a special episode of the Pemberley Podcast. Today we're joined by authors Allie Hazelwood and Julie Soto to finally discuss the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. We thought it would be a great time to not only ask Allie and Julie, who are also big Pride and Prejudice fans, to gush about the film with us, but to also talk about their latest book releases. So here's a brief bio for both of them. Allie Hazelwood is a neuroscientist, professor, and New York Times bestselling author of novels The Love Hypothesis, Love on the Brain, Loathe to Love You, and her latest novel, Love Theoretically. Julie Soto is a playwright. Her musical Generation Me won the 2017 New York Musical Festival's Best Musical Award, as well as Best Book for Julie's Work on the Script. She spends her days writing contemporary romance, rom-coms, and contemporary YA, often with a Jane Austen movie adaptation on in the background. Without further ado, please welcome Allie and Julie. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. We're very excited about just like talking to you guys, but also to talk about literally our favorite thing in the world. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yes, we this I feel like this is the most Julie and I podcast <laughs> that has ever existed. I think it's perfect for us. <laughs> Could you each tell us a little bit about your new books that you have coming out? My book, Forget Me Not, comes out on July 11th. It is about a young up-and-coming wedding planner named Emma who gets the opportunity to work on the wedding of her career. It'll be a celebrity wedding. It'll be covered by like a TLC TV show. And the only catch is that the couple has already decided on their florist, Elliot, the man whose heart she broke two years ago. Because this is a Jane Austen podcast, I can say it's pretty much a persuasion retelling. It's the second chance romance of our dreams. <laughs> Amazing. For a long time, we talked about Forget Me Not as the persuasion book. It was my little persuasion fan fiction. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> okay, so Love Theoretically is the story of Elsie, who is an adjunct professor. So that's uh, the kind of professor who doesn't make a lot of money and has very little job stability. So she is in the middle of interviewing for the job of her dreams, uh, which is a tenure track position at MIT, except that something uh, horrible happens, which is that when she walks into the interview, she finds out that she already knows one of the people who's on the hiring committee. And the person who's on the hiring committee is the older brother of the guy she has been fake dating. And the reason she fake dates is that because she doesn't make a lot of money in her career as a professor, she needs to kind of like moonlight as a fake dater. The book is very much the story of this job interview and then of, uh, of course, her and the older brother of the guy that she has been fake dating falling in love. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Not a requirement, but are there any awesome and like tropes in there i wish i mean i guess there is a it has maybe pride every and prejudice. yeah right like maybe in the sense that i would say that pride and prejudice is the prototype of ever sort of like rival to lover enemies to lovers or like just generally any i am assuming that this person is different than what they really are and yet i'm falling in love with them anyway yeah trope you're so real for saying that like <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're here to talk about the Pride and Prejudice movie. Both of you have books that are being made into movies. Is there <laughs> anything you can tell us about that? Julie's is a t 
TV show, or like I think it's it's being yeah, they're, it TV? yeah they're aiming it for TV, which is really okay. exciting for both of us. We are options, which means that like some producers want to like search for the opportunity to move it along, which is really cool. So it doesn't mean that it will necessarily happen, but it someone wants it to, and they're gonna start working on it, which is really cool. Because like, what I do to work on it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to get in front of the right people, but the people yeah. who know how to get in front of the right people are doing that. I don't know much of anything except that they're more interested in the TV format for Forget Me Not, which I think is great. What they liked about it is the idea of being in the wedding circuit and seeing different parts of it. I also feel like in your case, there are some secondary characters you meet and they're going to be part of that. And they would be a very good intersection in a TV series, I think. Yeah. Like I can really see that. It would be great well. to have the whole universe represented. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Julieverse! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Julie is so right because this optioning thing is such a... Optioning is, the you know, things could get made or not get made, you know, but it's just kind of nice that there is one person who's, you know, interested enough uh, that they might want to do something with it. Like a few months ago, they, they sent me a script for The Love Hypothesis and it was amazing. It was so good. It was full of jokes that I would never think of uh, writing. And I was very mad that these people got <laughs> like, I'm like, how dare you improve on the original material? Like, <laughs> and then send me the script. Hurtful. <laughs> That's really where we got it. And then the strike started, which is, you know, totally fair. Well, we're um, hopeful that the strike ends soon and that both your projects get to move forward and we get to see them very soon. Um, but we're so excited just to continue talking romance here. Um, we'd love to know what are some of your favorite romance tropes since you're both so well-versed in writing so many, but which are your favorite to read and which are your favorite to write? I mean, I love Enemies to Lovers and I love... Enemies to lovers, like, I feel like is the umbrella term for so much nowadays mm -hmm. when, like, truly what it encompasses is opposites attract. Some people aren't quite enemies, but they're not on the same page and watching them get on the same page is what I love. If it's not enemies to lovers, I'm generally not that interested in the beginning. Like you have to sell me on it if it's friends to lovers. Like people we meet on vacation by Emily Henry, it's like, oh, but they're friends to lovers, but they weren't talking for a while. You know, it's like, <laughs> That's the sell on it. It's like they kind of turn to, you know, what we call enemies to lovers. Yeah. For me, I have to read an enemies to lovers type situation and it just falls into my writing too. I think it's so true. Like you get this amazing tension from two people who are just not in a position where they can appreciate and even like or just be on the same sides um my my favorite trope to read and to write honestly is faded mates so that's when you know that these two people are meant to be together i would say on the surface it's kind of like what, what julie was saying it's kind of like friends to lovers it's a trope that in itself doesn't really have a lot of tension because you know these two people are just gonna fall in love but what i like is twists on it where you know they are on opposite sides of a war or you know they can't be together because of several other reasons or you know they are fitted mates but like one one person knows and the other doesn't stuff like that i like insta love but also they have to work for it for 70 million chapters <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like any characteristics of Jane Austen's tropes or characters have inspired your own writing? All Darcy all the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think about it all the time, though, that like, if I think about the fictional characters that I have that like, 
moved me to either read or write fan fiction. They are all incredibly Darcy-like. My favorites have always been, you know, Spock, Kylo mm-hmm. Ren. These are the people that I was like, you know, I'm going to write something. And deep down, they are kind of like Darcy. Like space that's, Darcy's. Yeah. Yes, space Darcy's. <laughs> Wizard Darcy. <laughs> Wizard Darcy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> I agree. And like specifically Jane Austen character. I mean, I Wentworth just, I love a man who can hold a grudge, you know, which is also Darcy. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. They're very similar characters in certain ways. Only Wentworth is more universally liked by people. <laughs> and but I, he is a dick at the beginning of the book. I mean, yeah. he's not the most uh, pure and selfless guy. Like he does a <laughs> bunch of stuff that's yeah. like, mm-hmm. he's like, her face is much changed. I hardly recognized her. <laughs> yes. And you're like, <laughs> I know. But like, yeah. I have to say that I was afraid because your your book is kind of our telling of persuasion. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, is Elliot going to like be? So the things that I don't like about Wentworth, he doesn't have them. Like, for example, I don't like that he strings along other women. Oh, yeah. And that is just like, uh, no, that's like, we don't do that, Wentworth. <laughs> but yeah. like, well, that's the point of fan fiction is you get to improve. improve. You, you read the source material and you're like, I see, I've seen what I need to see. I would like to do something else with this and make it your own and that's what's yeah. so exciting about it totally but you know it's I, I i this is such a big statement and i feel like people are gonna come at me for this but i will say it anyway i think there are books that are jane austen retellings that actually improve on the original because the example that i usually tell people is pride and protest by nikki Payne. it's yeah so good well but and nikki know- Payne to promote our friend is uh doing a sense and sensibility retelling next and i feel like that is one that needs more yeah we just need more like I love the Emma Thompson Hugh Grant Alan yeah. Rickman Kate Wynn I just I'll name all the people um yeah. <laughs> I love that version so much but that I mean to my knowledge that is the last classical version of that movie that we have there have been like um mm-hmm. modern retellings in film but I can't wait for her sense and sensibility because we'll get to see the the way that you can bring it more current Yolanda and I are also big fans of the sense and sensibility film how do you fix perfection how do you improve upon that's that true. but it's true that's we're eager for something like that too and you know I actually think this is a great segue into the film that kind of we didn't even watch in advance for this because it plays in our hearts on a loop Right free. Let's talk about Pride and Prejudice 2005, starring Keira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, directed by Joe Wright. I mean, from the beginning, when did you guys first see this movie? And also, like, was it love at first watch, or did it take a couple of watches to love it? Like, what's your history with this? I saw it for the first time in the theater, but not when it came out. I think it was some kind of those, like in my hometown, one of those uh, students go for cheaper theater thing and they were showing like slightly older movies. And I saw it dubbed in Italian the first time because I, at the time, I don't think I spoke English. So it might have been a couple of years after. As someone who's obsessed with the book, the first time I saw it, I was like, this is not like the book. I hate it. I think. <laughs> The one that I had seen already was the 2000, no, the, the, 19, the 1995, the BBC one. And that is way more faithful, right? Um, so faithful. And, you know, of course, it's like, what, 10 hours or something? Yeah. Like, it's it's longer. 2005, I had to make some choices. So, like, my first reaction was, how dare they? They change stuff. Uh, I remember me and my friend Fabiana were like, you know what? 
let's go see it again because it was like literally like two euros to go to the movies then we went like three more times it was <laughs> it was because we we're like okay so it's not like the book i think we didn't have the word at the time but the word that we were seeking was horny it's like literally the horniest retelling and now that movie is my life <laughs> now it plays me to sleep at night yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> I don't remember if I saw it in theaters, but the vivid memory I have is watching it in a hotel room two years after it came out with my college roommate. You know, you're watching with a girl, you know, with like someone who's like in the same on the same boat as you for so much, you know, and both of you are like, oh, just like swooning at the same times. Like, oh, my God, did he almost kiss her? You know, like, like, you're that like oh, my scene. God, he just leaned in like, you know, you're he just looks like, at her lips. He looks at her yeah. lips. Yes. <laughs> and it's like and it shocks you to your core that they got that horny. And like it, I just remember we were just blown away by it. And it had, well, I read the book for the first time in high school and our teacher wanted to show us the 1995 just to like get you more excited about it and just really like rave about Colin Firth. But the best part was like, I specifically remember reading the book, not either not having the information or having forgotten already. It was so fun listening because I went to an all girls school. It was so fun listening to a group of 25 young women be like what the fuck is his problem like who is this book about am i supposed to be looking at this darcy guy you know like and it was just so funny to watch that transition and i feel like she put on the 1995 pride and prejudice to assist us with this like oh so he looks like colin Firth. <laughs> you know like it was just a little she just kind of helped us a bit see what we were missing and i feel like with 2005 it is when people ask me which one I like better I'm like well obviously 1995 is the book it is way more faithful but 2005 speaks to my soul the music aesthetics the, the rain the rain just like the cinematography of it I think so many people have this experience of like maybe it wasn't like love love at first sight but much like darcy himself yeah. it kind of makes you fall in love with the movie i was kind of young when i saw it for the first time and so i kind of there was a lot i didn't get i just kind of kept coming back because it's just so gorgeous to look at like even if you don't know what they're saying you can just pause any moment in that movie and it's like a painting you're so right Allie, about it being just such a horny movie <laughs> Because it's like, blink and you'll miss it. It can be like, what? I didn't even know he liked her. I didn't even know this. I had the joy of showing it to my mom for the first time in 2020. And it was nice to get to see it from someone who like had no idea about the story or the characters or like who's going to end up together. And that first proposal scene, she was like, what? What's going on here? And I was like, oh yeah, you totally don't see it coming at all. Did you not see the hand flags though? Like that, that, like that's only on, a mom. man, only a man who's about to propose would hand flags like that. Come on. I think I was literally reading like a behind the scenes interview for the 2020 Emma movie where the director was talking about like everyone was in like gloves at that time for every occasion. So like we had to find a reason for them to like not be gloved and to like touch. There's something about like the horniness of the movie that makes you think like the hands are naked. They're yeah. naked. <laughs> it's 
Oh my god. The costumes too, they are very I don't know if they are accurate for the period. I I don't know anything about costumes, but they feel accurate and that's all I care about and like they are just there are some where if you think about like Lizzie in her white gown at the not the Netherfield the Marington is it the Netherfield ball? I think yeah. it's the Netherfield ball. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because at the Marington what she's she's just she has her regular bluish thing. Okay, so you look at her and you're like, I see what Darcy would see. She looks so different. She looks so pretty and made up. She's out. She's trying to look hot. Could it be that she's trying to look hot for me? Oh, no. She's trying to look hot for my arch nemesis. And <laughs> and really, it's just like, oh, my God, it's so good. <laughs> and actually, what I know, the period it's supposed to be set in is like the very late 1700s when the book was being written. So mm. like, even though it was like published in the region, era it's supposed to be late 1700s so it's not quite like the empire wastes that we know from this era it's like a little bit fast sooner but they're still gorgeous everyone looks like themselves and the best thing is that like if you look like caroline bingley is in empire waste because she is ahead of the fashion like mm -hmm. she, she is, is uh in, it's in the commentary he says it in the commentary <laughs> yes <laughs> She has the books to grammar. <laughs> I think Joe says it uh, in, yeah. in the commentary. He's like, you know, if if you're like, she's wearing, you see her clothes and she looks a little bit out of place. That's because these are like country bumpkins and she is uh, like the city girl. Yeah. We did have a question about if you guys have seen the DVD commentary and Allie, love that you have. Have you also have seen it, it memorized? Julie? Yeah. You. Like, yeah. I, I bought it. it. You told me to watch it. Like you were like, uh, because yeah. I, I don't think I have ever watched a DVD commentary. I, I kind of want to watch the Twilight ones just because I've heard that yeah. Robert Ross Pattinson, Pattinson is just yeah. insane on them. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I, I feel like we were watching Pride and Prejudice and I was like spouting off all these little like, and then yeah. this happens. Da, 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 da. And did you know that so-and-so did that on the day? And, so, da, 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 da. and, she, <laughs> and she's like, how do you know this? <laughs> like the DVD commentary <laughs> by Joe, my best friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. I mean, I feel like once you've seen the movie so many times, the way I felt was like, I didn't need to hear what they were saying because I knew. Like, I, yeah. I enjoyed, like, hearing Joe Wright talk about it. I knew what was happening and I need, like, a more advanced version of the yeah. film to, like, fulfill me. <laughs> You know, it just occurred to me that the only other movie that I've watched the the commentary for was The Last Jedi, where I watched Ryan Johnson's mm. thing. And isn't The Last Jedi Pride and Prejudice in Space? Pride and Prejudice in <laughs> Objectively. Space. Objectively. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, I love how you see it so clearly. I mean, how would you compare the two um, director commentaries? Was one more fun to listen to? To be fair, so I watched uh, Ryan Johnson's commentary when I was in my Raylo phase that lasted about four years or something like and I, I'm, I'm, I will always be in my Raylo phase but uh, <laughs> now I'm not as obsessed as and and for the people at home who are normal uh, Raylo is the ship of Kylo Ren and Ray, and uh, I wrote a lot of fan fiction about them and so did Julie and that's how we met so here's the deal with Pride and Prejudice you know they end up together they are a couple that's canonical the director's commentary for The Last Jedi so it has a very strong Pride and Prejudice uh, elements like the, there is this like proposal that 
gets rejected. There is this like 100%. It was all there. Yeah, it was there. (laughs) This was movie two of three and the third movie hadn't come out yet. And we were all grasping like little hints to figure out if they both get together in the third movie. And so we were listening like with bated breath to (laughs) everything that Ryan Johnson was saying. And then it turned out to be totally useless because in the end they didn't even have a trilogy planned out. Like, but yeah, I mean, I I love them both. Joe's commentary is more, oh my god, I can't believe that's what that's what was behind this movie that I've seen so many times. And Ryan's commentary was more, let me see what I can learn about what's about to happen. <laughs> as we're talking about the characters too, as we dive more into like the Bennets and Lizzie and Darcy, is there a character that you most identify with? Mary, <laughs> pretty much Mary. Mary. I'm like, wait, what's going on? Who's got warts? What's happening? And then you're like, can someone just let me play the fucking piano? <laughs> I am I am Mr. Bennett so hard. I would be that like absentee father. <laughs> yeah. Who- is 100 percent never checks her text messages (laughs) yeah (laughs) i feel like i have some internal qualities of jane notice how i said internal to sound more humble um because (laughs) the whole like kind of aloof i think a lot of people like when they want to get to know me better they find it really hard to get to know me because i just i i'm just like great i had a great time with you no expression on my face (laughs) no it's not true i mean but you you're also you're a bingley so you're gonna get straight through you're gonna get straight through that (laughs) and also i i met you first through our interest so it's uh it's one of like it bonds you so quickly like having something in common you know (laughs) i mean do you want to share like exactly how you two met and formed this like unbreakable bond unbreakable Uh, not like i don't know why everyone assumes that we're friends we don't even like each other i don't even like (laughs) she's in the room next door the hotel messed up and put us next yeah like we're we're actually enemies okay but we met through adam driver yes adam introduced us (laughs) adam was like oh this is my friend you two should know each other I was a huge fan of Allie's Raylo fan fiction, absolutely adored her work. And we had a lot of mutual friends who were reading my Harry Potter fan fiction. So it's like I hadn't interacted with Allie much because it's like we we just we weren't in like the same group chats, but like I was like obsessed with her, following her on Twitter. Basically, I saw her and some of her our mutual friends talking about going to see burn this which is adam driver's broadway show and basically i already had tickets for the exact same show they were going to so like we met in the concessions line at the hudson theater in new york and that was absolutely fabulous and hung out that evening and and it was just a lot of fun and then we started being in the same spaces together same discord chat when did we realize that we're both like because we have a lot of friends who like pride and prejudice but i think no one is as obsessed as we are maybe they're not unhealthy someone just like says like hand flex in normal conversation and you're like oh my people (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that must have been it i love that so much as we talk about Lizzie and Darcy, that is one of the key scenes that kind of gets replayed and screenshotted and even there's art made of it. I know, Jillian, you have it. Mm-hmm. And you are a too, but... 
let's talk about that hand flex scene and like what the impact of that was. The social impact of the <laughs> hand flex scene. I feel like there's hand flex BC and hand flex AD and uh, BC is before we learned that it was improvised by Matthew. And then there are the after times where we know it now, you know, like <laughs> it didn't change much, but it added everything. Okay. So Matthew is such an interesting actor. So Julie got me to watch Succession. So mm-hmm. I wasn't watching it before. And then yeah. I started watching it, loved it. And I started watching it wanting to love Matthew because uh, I wanted to. Tom is objectively the worst character (laughs) in the entirety of that show. I was like, we were talking about how good he is. Like that this actor who's so handsome and so charming in real life and has this amazing range is able to make you hate him, despise him and or love him. And uh, if you think about it, really, he must just go deep and really understand these characters because uh, it just is that good and he came up with the hand flex and I'm like you know what you're doing it's so what you're doing the hand flex also like separates the men from the children you know like (laughs) if you don't go oh (laughs) while watching the movie then like you're not on my intellectual level (laughs) (laughs) nothing wrong with that but like watch the movie with me again and like figure it out because like yeah (laughs) if you watch someone and there's not a reaction you're like concerned yeah yeah i'm just like okay well it's okay you'll get it by the end you're you're Um, too innocent for us yeah yeah this is pornography and uh how do you not get it well and it's also really nice that like as a human man Man, Matthew's hands when walking hover near his crotch so it's also a crotch shot it's just everything about it is very horny you're very right and it just kind of made me think of when like right yeah. before the first proposal when Darcy just barges in on Lizzie sitting in the cottage he's not wearing his gloves he's like right. holding them and like nervously twisting them and he's just like staring at her and she's like can I help you? And he's like Something thinking else. terrible things. <laughs> yeah, I think of it as a blink and you'll miss it moment. It's much faster than it happens in the book because in the book, he actually like they have a small conversation. You know, he comes yeah. in, he gets tea and then he leaves like or whatever. But like in the movie, it's literally yeah you're like what it's just- like he came over with a purpose he chickens out and leaves <laughs> i can't imagine like one of the things that i hated about the movie the first time i saw it is that like he brings her the letter while she's like in her nightgown or whatever at home mm-hmm. and i was like this is so inaccurate it would never happen and now i'm like take you can pry that scene from my cold yeah. at hand <laughs> well there's also there's also that moment where you're trying to figure out did she dream that he yeah in because she's like asleep standing up practically you know staring at herself and like when she turns around he's not there but the letter yeah. is so like did he even come in or was it brought to her on a tray you know like it's beautiful so beautifully done oh my like, god like maybe he didn't come in while she was in her nightdress uh, but like uh, she thought about it that she thought that that's what happened oh is very good at this like if i think about like atonement joe we love you i mean he was engaged to rosamund pike aka jane but then she w- wasn't she dating joe while filming pride yeah, and prejudice I think so. and he's like okay so now you propose to my girlfriend <laughs> Who's your, so your ex? ex-boyfriend's gonna yeah. propose to my girlfriend in front of me and i'm gonna be telling him what he's doing wrong so that's <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
that's yeah. something that's happening. No, I mean, it's it's everywhere. And I think they had a lot of fun. That's another thing that you kind of hear in the commentary. They, I think it's not in the commentary, but there are like extras, uh, like extra shots of them exploring the house, like featurettes or something. I love the, when they played sardines in the house. Yeah. I love that. Like, I, I love that. I think you must have been a very good set to be on. Yeah. There is this picture that I adore that is like Matthew with a cell phone or like whatever yeah. passed for a cell phone 20 years ago because <laughs> this, this movie is 20 years old. Almost 20 years. Yeah. Amazing. Like, and it does not feel dated Mm-mm. at all. Should we talk about the first proposal in the rain and yes. so what that means to us? <laughs> everything. So my favorite yeah. <laughs> thing that I realized recently and I felt like such such a smarty pants is that the rainstorm that he proposes in, the very first crack of thunder that happens that is like, wow, we're it's about to rain, happens when Colin says through the intercourse. <laughs> When he accidentally talks about sex, the rain starts and it continues <laughs> through the proposal scene. And I realized that during one watch and I was like, that is the best. I love, I love that so much. I love the proposal because the rain adds so much because you would never find two people alone and you would never find two people improperly dressed, which is drenched by rain. And they're so far from other people like it's it's so dangerous oh my god it's literally the most forbidden thing yeah it's insane and i absolutely adore the fact that they look each at each other's mouths like it's like she like almost regrets saying no immediately hmm. he stares at her he looks at her mouth and she's like wow there actually might be something here <laughs> and then he there goes. is like he leaves and like you can tell her being like what the fuck just happened yeah like it, this was like the moment that could make or change my life yeah and i just told him to go fuck himself like it's yeah. there is this moment of like yeah. what is this I in a way it. that's like bridgerton season two of <laughs> like it's kate and absolutely <laughs> which is why i really like season two more than season one i think a lot yes, of people yeah. wanted more sex from season two but like I'm here for the you are the bane of yeah. my existence and the object I mean of all my desire. I do think that non-touching enemies to lovers is much sexier than like actual sex scenes yes. because you, like they didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. They didn't yeah. fight for it. You need that fight. You need that tension. You need them to like not be able to have each other in order before they can really have each other. Yeah. It's such a good point too that with that proposal scene, like it is so scandalous and I don't think you get that in the context of this movie. But right. I think if you like, you know, the book and you know, like the social rules of the time, you're like, what is happening? Why are these two yeah. people alone? Yeah. And they get so close to each other's faces it's like all this tension there yeah i told ali she doesn't quite believe me she's not sure if she believes me so right but when he leans in his lips part and i'm positive that he says please oh yes yes we actually watched like 70 so times <laughs> watch it again it's when she says you're the last man on the earth i would ever prevail myself to marry and she goes, Mary. And She's it goes so back to deep. him. And he, when he does his little like small lean in and looks down at her mouth, his lips part. And there's like this little puff of air. And I'm positive he says, please. I, I love the idea. Yeah. I and love the idea. When it goes back to her, 
it looks like he just said please. She's like very confused by the way that the temperature just changed. <laughs> wow. I mean, I that feel... was that deleted scene. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I it, it's just amazing how during the proposal, like isn't that the proposal that they used? It uh, wasn't that the scene that, that made Joe decide to cast him because he already had Kira, but he didn't have uh, Matthew. And I then... think so. Yeah, I think they just auditioned with that a lot. Yeah, yeah. and and they, they, he just like they did it, and this the tension between like they did it so angrily, and like they kind of fed off the energy of each other, and apparently was so explosive that they were like, okay, well these are this true. I love and it. And if you think about the difference between the first proposal scene in 1995 and yeah. 2005, like in 1995 they are chill in this uh, in the whatever. parlor, <laughs> and, and they're still quite angry at each other, but but oh, very. Oh. Civil. Yeah. Yes. Like she is like Lizzie is much more composed. Like she's like, yeah. I yeah. am not doing this. But like in there, like you can tell that like she's angry and then she's like, what the fuck? And then she's insulted yeah. and then she's horny. Like it's all oh, the emotions. It's fabulous. I there's a there's a video on YouTube of someone something I think it's called Lizzie roasts Darcy and they set the Lizzie monologue of from the first moment I met you I knew that you were the last you know they set that to the buildup of turn down for what so it's turn down for what and like you have to look it up Lizzie roasts Darcy and basically they go last man on the earth I would ever prevail myself to marry and then like it shows Darcy and they go turn down for and it, it's this whole piece look it it's up William I am so sorry William. I am so sorry that they're being so mean to you Fitzwilliam yes. <laughs> the internet is amazing yeah I feel like honestly I feel like such an amateur for not knowing about this video <laughs> all right well we'll we'll bring it out with a question since you guys are such talented and passionate fan fiction writers what are some of your favorite things that you imagine epilogue-wise happen to all the characters after Pride and Prejudice? I don't know if anyone has seen it, but it's called Death Comes to Pemberley. And it's this, you know, mini series. And uh, it's at, I want to say, five or six years. And uh, Darcy and Lizzie are disgustingly in love. And yet they're having issues because, you know, he's still not very good at communicating, honestly. And I remember watching the miniseries. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I watched the miniseries and it's also very horny. I was like, I can see this happening. Like this, I can see them having this future where they are incredibly in love and you can tell they have a child. He's a great father. She's a great mother. But he still has uh, some issues that come from like all the responsibilities, the fact that her, mm. she comes with a past, right? Like she has, you know, Wickham is still a relative, still like a kind of yeah. orbiting around their lives. And uh, he tends to kind of close up when he has issues. And uh, so there are times where she's like, oh my God, like this, is, he, is he shutting me off? And uh, I just thought it was so good. And of course they are super in love. Yeah. Love I recommend I, I feel like, I mean, yes to all of that. Like, once the happily ever after has been achieved, I don't love Julie's writing the out next. of there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, peace. Uh, but I really love so news. Like, I really love, like, alternate ver- universes or timelines where something kind of messes with the canon. 
And I don't know if you've seen Lost in Austin. It's Mm -hmm. really terrible. (laughs) God bless those people, right? They did a great job. But like, it's not an excellent miniseries. But I have to say, I had it on just in like the background. And the way that the canon material starts to get messed up had me gasping. I was like, how is she going to fix this? Because basically a woman in contemporary times switches places with Lizzie Bennett and it starts the book essentially. And she's like the cousin who's staying with the Bennett family. And when she first meets Darcy and Bingley, she actually knows who they are because she's read Pride and Prejudice. And she's like, oh, Darcy, like she loves him so much, but she knows he's for Elizabeth. So like, she's not like trying to get with Darcy, but guess who does try to get with her? Bingley. And it is wild because you're like, we're going to have a problem. And she thinks so too. She's like, oh my God, I can't. No, you're for Jane. Like she has to like fix her mistakes. Does does Darcy end up being interested in Jane because Jane is available? No, but- okay. I I, I spoil it slightly. If Bingley's not interested in Jane, that means Mrs. Bennett doesn't tell Mr. Collins that she's not available. (gasps) Not my Jane. It is wild. (laughs) Like when you take a piece and twist it, oh my, like when I tell you this series was not good, it was not good. But (laughs) But when you watch it and you're a big fan, you are like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You need to fix this. Yeah. (laughs) It is so crazy. I highly recommend it if you're a huge fan and you like being shocked. (laughs) I mean, there's so many great epilogues or just like tweaks to, to the source material. Like you guys were saying, it's, I mean, there's kind of like infinite possibilities yeah Mm -hmm. all right well thank you so much for taking this time to gush about the movie with us it's been such a great time and i mean i think this should just be really like an open letter to joe wright to give us the answers that we want for anything he missed in the director's commentary whatever (laughs) thank you for changing our lives joe we love you we hope you're happy if you want to like make a sequel both kira and matt matthew still look amazing they're great give us more (laughs) and rosamund pike like very 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 castable very yeah uh, very very sequel material so i'll be i'll be there for that Thanks again to Allie and Julie for joining us. You can get their books, Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood and Forget Me Not by Julie Soto available now. We'll be taking a hiatus on new episodes for now, but we recently participated in Virtual Jane Con, which we talked all about film and TV Austin adaptations available now on our YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley and email us with comments and questions at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.